the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. We should never do something that influences another believer to do something that God is protecting them from. And this is the consequence of the compromise. Your compromise, His consequence. Your compromise, Her consequence. Join us now for Grace to the Bay as we glorify the Lord Jesus Christ through sound expository teaching by our teacher, Dr. Roger Chen. Grace to the Bay is the radio outreach of Grace Church of the Bay Area located in San Mateo. If you are blessed by Dr. Chen's message and are looking for a church home, you're invited to come worship with them. Now, here is Dr. Chen. Our first for this morning, but our fourth for the outline, is the consequence of the compromise. The consequence of the compromise. Follow along as I read verse 10 and then the beginning of verse 11. For if someone sees you who have knowledge, so this would be the more mature guy, the one who is willing to eat at the temple, the one with knowledge is how Paul refers to him now. For if someone sees you who have knowledge dining in an idol's temple, will not his, the weaker brother's conscience, if he is weak, be strengthened to eat things sacrificed to idols? For through your knowledge, he who is weak is ruined. Ruined. Now he's really explaining what happens here. Not just bothered, not just annoyed, ruined. I alluded to this previously, but here's what Paul specifies, that the issue is not so much buying this type of meat at a butcher, by implication that includes this, but these Christians are actually partaking of the post-sacrifice, post-worship feasts in the pagan temples. Now, as a reminder, this is not the worship itself. A lot of non-worshippers would come to these feasts. This was a big party that involved a meal where the temple worshipers could invite various guests, again, even if those guests were not part of the temple. A lot of times they would uh, invite the dignitaries and important people in the city. So a Christian is invited to the feast. They enjoy the meal. They enjoy the party. He doesn't worship the pagan idols. In fact, he knows the idols aren't real. So there's no real big deal about partaking in the meal, he thinks. Then the weaker brother walks by. Wait a minute, is that the brother or sister who was previously involved in the, this sort of pagan worship, possibly even at that specific temple, and even not that temple, it doesn't matter. They're all the same. His or her feelings and emotions and memories are still fresh. They're still raw. Even more so now that they're Christians as they recognize the wickedness of their past life in the eyes of their Creator. And they see this other Christian from their church in the temple, chatting it up, enjoying themselves, eating the meat, and you need to understand that what Paul is saying is the weaker brother doesn't respond by saying in anger and say, how dare you? How can you do this? The consequence, the problem is the weaker brother sees that and says, oh, I guess it's okay then. Because if he's there, the mature Christian, I guess it's okay despite what my conscience is telling me to go there, reconnect with all those people, the priests and the priestesses, and enjoy a meal. See, when he says that, Oh, I, I guess it's okay then. What the more mature Christian who's already eating there, what he hears is, yeah, see, this new Christian now understands that it's okay because these idols aren't real. 
My example has helped him mature. But what the weaker brother, the former idolater, actually said was, oh, I I guess it's okay to go against my spirit-guided conscience and participate to some degree in idolatry. See, for him, because he is weak, it's not just food. It's not just a movie, just a beer, just a peck on the cheek. It is a significant part of idol worship which he has been practicing, and he was practicing the last time he sat in the very chair that that Christian brother is now sitting in. You guys see the problem there? And Paul says in the verse, he is now strengthened. He is emboldened. He is encouraged to go back to his old ways. In other words, he is now strengthened, emboldened, and encouraged to ignore and violate his Holy Spirit-guided conscience. Why? Because you want a party. Paul says, you've destroyed him. That's what ruined means. It connotes utter ruin, destruction, annihilation. And the, the idea here is you, you've made him sin in a really bad way. And it's not just a sin that he, he does. I, I can't believe I did that. I've never done that before. But you're just having him jump into the rushing stream that was once his life. It's not one off. It's back to what he used to be. And what's the cause of this Christian brother or sister's ruin? Your theology, your Bible verses, your knowledge. There is but one God. These things are good. They're holy. You need to have knowledge and Bible verses and theology. In fact, you need more than you have right now. So long as you practice it in love. Acting out of knowledge but not love destroys others. Isn't that why you do it? I just enjoy a glass of wine. I really like those movies. She's okay with it. I really like that it's good food. And I even have a chance to evangelize these, these pagan people. But it's all about what I want, what I want to do. I enjoy. I get to do. That's the opposite of love. And the question is, how is it your fault that he's in sin? Because you're the more mature Christian. Look around. These people sitting next to you, we're supposed to take care of them. We're supposed to protect each other. We're supposed to love each other. But we've replaced the phrase one another with me, myself, and I. And we've led them into a situation that they cannot handle. Speaking about loving and caring and protecting, I love and care for and protect my kids. So I don't expose them to anything from violence on television to fire on the stove. It'd be much easier for me and my time and my desires to not have to train and to teach and protect and say, don't go there, turn that off, to have to filter everything. But I love them. So I sacrifice for them. I take the time to protect. I turn off my computer and walk out of my office to hold, to scoop back, to turn off, change the channel. Because I love them. And that's what we are to do for one another. Because like my children, some Christians don't know better. They will someday. But because we are loving and protecting and encouraging and taking care of. See, the problem isn't that the weaker brother is now willing to join you all the while thinking it's wrong. The problem is that the weaker brother is now willing to join you because they think it's okay. That it's not wrong because you're doing it. And with ironic vocabulary, Paul says you've strengthened him. You've encouraged him to believe contrary to his conscience. As Christians, we should never do something that influences another believer to do something that God is protecting him from doing through his conscience. We should never do something that influences another believer to do something that God is protecting them from. And this is the consequence of the compromise. Your compromise, his consequence. Your compromise, her consequence. That's simply not a trade that Christians should be willing to make. There are billions in this world that are making that choice willingly every day. Not us. 
No self-entitlement here. No selfishness. No pride. Others. 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 There are consequences. But then Paul continues, our fifth factor in choosing to limit your Christian liberty is the severity of the sin. How is it any more severe than we've already seen? Look at verse 11 again and verse 12. We saw, for through your knowledge, he who is weak is ruined, the brother for whose sake Christ died. Ouch. Verse 12, and so by sinning against the brethren and wounding their conscience when it is weak, you sin against Christ. Not only are we reminded at the end of verse 11 of the significance of that individual you are hurting, but we are reminded of the example of Christ's selfless sacrifice and willingness to give up his rights and freedoms. Not his Christian liberty, his deity liberty. He gave those up for us, for others, the very thing that we refuse to do. And to put it another way, if brotherhood is not enough for you to consider the weaker brother, then regard for Christ should to build up that soul for which Christ paid such a high price. If you've had the opportunity to do this in your lifetime, think about when you bought a brand new car off the lot. All the research, all the haggling. Think about the cover that is currently in your pocket, making your very slim cell phone two, three, four, five, six times thicker than it's supposed to be. We go out of our way to protect an expensive physical item, because of the price that we paid for it. Shouldn't you do the same for the human soul, the price of which was the death of Christ? See, Christ died on the cross for that person. Surely you can put away that beer, turn off that movie, dress more appropriately, whatever. And look at verse 12. Paul finally calls it what it is. You are sinning against the weaker Christian. Yes, the food is neutral. The beer is neutral. Those things are neutral. But you're sinning against the weaker Christian, and you understand why by now. Then he goes further and points out what you're doing, wounding their conscience when it is weak. Did you catch that? You're wounding their already weak conscience. You're wounding their conscience when it is already weak. We say, kicking him while he's down. The knife's already in the back, and you twist it. He's already hurt, and you make it worse. It's like a little girl after she just played her first AYSO soccer game, and she lost and she's absolutely devastated in tears and runs to her father. I lost, Daddy, I lost. And the dad says, you're not just a loser, you're a crybaby too. You're wounding a conscience that is already weak when you should be lifting up, protecting, holding, helping. Paul has spoken much in the passage about the conscience. Here he goes further and says, you are wounding it, the word Get this, wounding his conscience, the word in the Greek means to hit with the fist, to beat with the stick, or to whip. And keep in mind, he's already weak. So the beating you're giving him, he can't endure it already. As a side note, I want you to remember that the conscience is a tool of the Holy Spirit to guide the believer. This believer having a weak conscience is not because of the one who guides is weak. It's simply a matter of that individual's growth and current spiritual maturity. And as we grow in the Lord, not just in knowledge, but in faith and love, our consciences will allow us to do more things and go more places because we have the necessary spiritual strength and discernment to do so. It's the same thing as a child who is limited in what he's allowed to touch, what she can see, where he can go. But as they get older, those limits dissolve away to the point that most of us send them away to college where we don't even see them anymore. But back to the passage, let's take it a step further. If you're still not convinced to change your ways in regard to Christian freedom was sin against Christ. Before he got saved, he persecuted whom? 
Not Christ. We know that their lives, physical lives, probably overlap, but there's no indication that he was actually in Christ's presence persecuting him. He persecuted Christians. Not Christ himself before Christ was crucified. He, he could have, you understand, historically in the timeline. But he only persecuted Christians, yet in that infamous conversion experience on the road to Damascus, Jesus says, why are you persecuting me? Because when you persecute my, my people, you're persecuting me. Acts 9.4. Go back a few years, you have Christ himself telling us that whatever we do to the least of these, we do to him. Matthew 25. And hopefully by now we recognize that it's not, again, just a glass of wine. It's not just a movie. It's not just a simple sign of affection. There are consequences. And depending on the situation, it may be sin. And the fact that this is sin against Christ Himself is a reminder of something you are already well aware of. That we never behave just for others. Yes, we need to consider others. Yes, we need to love the weaker brother. But our motivation is not solely them. It is for Christ. It is for Christ. It is for Christ. His glory. And though it's not here, rest assured that there are on the other side wonderful, blessed, eternal consequences of making the right choice. And so, in light of all this, now what? What do we do? This leads us to our final factor in choosing to limit your Christian liberty. This morning we've seen the consequence of the compromise, the severity of the sin, and now the clarity of the conclusion. Here's what we should conclude, because this is what Paul concludes. Verse 13, Therefore, if food causes my brother to stumble, I will never eat meat again, so that I will not cause my brother to stumble. It doesn't get any clearer than this. Paul would rather be a vegetarian than to cause a weaker brother to stumble. And he's generalizing here probably because he has never taken part in these temple feasts. So he generalizes it to eating meat in just eating meat, not just at the cultic meal. And by generalizing, he generalizes the principle and and shows us that there's a bigger issue at hand, right? It's not just that specific meal at a temple. There's a bigger spiritual principle here. And the bigger issue is your insistence on your rights or freedom in the name of knowledge. In other words, to insist that it's okay because you know the Bible doesn't condemn it. And as we've seen, in true God-honoring Christian living, genuine Christian living, knowledge and love go hand in hand. And I don't mean that they just work together. I mean, the more you study the Bible, the more theology you know, or if you come from a a weaker church or or liberal background, the more your, your theology is fixed, you don't just practice it in love, your love should grow as well. The more you know about God, the more you should automatically love. It it makes sense, right? When you read the Scriptures, the whole point is you read not just to know about God, but you know about God and you are overwhelmed by what He has done for you. Because in the Scriptures, the more you learn about God, the more you learn how much of a desperately sick, wretched, depraved sinner you are who by your very nature, outside of the grace of God, should have nothing to do with Him and He should have nothing to do with you save for what we can only assume is a sickening few seconds that you are in his presence so he can send you to hell forever. But no, but God, but Christ. And so how can you read this? How can you learn more without loving more? It doesn't make sense. I mean, you, you, you learn more about your spouse and you think it's cool, it's cute, and you love them more. And yet none of those characteristics have to do with her sacrificing or him sacrificing anything for you before you met. It's just neat stuff that you just 
learn to like. And yet here you learn about Christ. You learn about God's holiness, His eternality. You learn about His sacrifice. You learn about the wickedness of sin. You learn about the Garden of Eden and the fall. And everything we learn should push us to love Him more, which means it should push us to love others more. They go hand in hand. And any time they are out of sync in terms of quality, there's a problem. Even when it's the other way. When you find yourself loving more than you know. Because then you have the danger of sacrificing and compromising this for the sake of making him or her feel good or feel better. And that's just as dangerous. And so, are you willing to have this mindset? Are you willing to say, I will never do that again? I found out that there are believers that were engulfed in this sort of lifestyle. And though what I do is far from that, I know that that is the gateway to that. I know just by common sense that what I am doing is probably how they started before it got bad. And so I'm willing to never do it again. Are you willing to do that? See, I'm not asking you, are you going to do that? Because the willingness to do that is so much more important. Because if you're going to do that, it may be, well, I didn't really like this anyways. It's easy to do. It costs a lot of money. Better if I don't anyways. I was kind of on the fence, but not this thing. I really enjoy this thing. See, it's not the particular issue. It is the mindset, the characteristic, the heart attitude of love, of loving. It's not even the mindset of being willing to give up something. Work on loving others. Because then all of this, you won't be like, um, yeah, I guess so. You'll be like, yeah, of course, I love. Are you willing to give? Yeah, I love. Are you willing to sacrifice? Yes, I love. You see? Because that's a bigger thing. If you're just trying to cut out something of your diet or cut out something that you really enjoy and kind of force yourself to do that, you could do that without love. You could do that just because you want to please someone or date someone or make me happy or come whatever, right? But if you work on truly loving, then all of those things aren't even a question if you're willing to do it or not. Of course you're willing to do it because you already love. Going back to the kids. You know that I love my kids, right? I, I think we can all safely assume that about any at least Christian parents that they love their kids. So I don't think anyone would think like, oh, so uh, if you were on vacation and someone got, one of your kids got really hurt, would you end your vacation so they could go get their surgery? Well, of course, you wouldn't even ask that because you know I would. Why? Because I love my kids. See, love dictates all of this. And as we come to the end of this topic of, or this, yeah, this topic of Christian liberty and gray areas, I want to make a few points of clarification. The first is that this is not about being offensive or not offensive, okay? Don't just stop at, well, what I do is offensive, so I should stop. The, the, you understand the very core of the Christian life is offensive? Christ is offensive. If you've ever engaged in conversation with someone about why, not just constitutionally, it's morally wrong to pass laws requiring me to hire LGBTQ plus pastors, they don't get it. It's offensive to them. We are the offenders. We are the haters. We are the persecutors in their minds. And it's frustrating, but they just don't get it. Nor do I think they could because they don't have the Lord. They don't have the Holy Spirit to guide them. So Christian life is offensive. This is not what we're talking about, okay? It's not just, again, because that could, that could still be about me. I just I want everyone to respect me. This is about not living in a way that would cause others to emulate your behavior such that they would hurt yourselves. And understand that in many gray areas, remember I started, I said, gray areas are gray because they might be wrong, right? Going to church is never considered a gray area, 
right? Doing something good is never a gray area. We just, we know we're supposed to do it. I know that's a bad example because we're commanded, but you get what, I, what I'm saying. We call them gray areas because we think, eh, they might not be the best. But they're gray, so we do them because we're allowed to. And you understand that if you practice a gray area because of the very nature of gray areas, that it's quite possible, and many institutions could attest to this, that even though you're doing a simple act, other people may do that simple act and then go deeper into that issue. Alcoholism, drugs, pornography, whatever. Secondly, this is not about giving in to legalists, whether Christians or non-Christians. And I understand that sometimes it's, a, it's, a, it's hard to figure out. Am I being legalistic or am I doing it for the Lord? And sometimes it's hard to figure out in our own hearts. And this is why, you know, the default is we focus on worship and love. We've got to be careful of this. And I realize, I recognize how dangerous this is. You know, many of us or most of us just struggle with this. Like, yeah, I know I'm being a legalist because I just want to feel good about myself. We recognize that. But there are some people who are godly, godly people who truly, because of their backgrounds and the influence that they have had, have a really hard time figuring out if they're doing it for the Lord or not, or because that's just what their family's always done. I mean, these, these things we're talking about, not doing them, it's not compulsory, which is why it's called the gray area. If it's forbidden in Scripture, it's compulsory not to do it. If it's commanded, it's compulsory to do it as a Christian. But it's a gray area. But what this is about is about voluntarily, it's a key word there, making choices out of love for one another so that their conscience is not violated, even though your conscience is okay with it. Obviously, if your conscience is not okay with it, you shouldn't be doing it as well. Thirdly, I want to point out that this is not blame shifting for your own sin. We are talking about you choosing the right side of gray areas to not cause other people to stumble. This is not a justification to look at this verse and say, yeah, people call me, cause me to stumble all the time and it's not my fault that I sin. That's not what we're talking about here. We're addressing the bigger man here. And we are also talking about a behavior on the part of one individual that leads to the same type of behavior on the part of another. His drinking leads to her alcoholism. Your holding hands leads to their sex. Her R-rated movies leads to his pornography or violence. So this is not talking about things like anger or, or pride or being judgmental or whatever it is. And we definitely can't use any of these to justify our own stumbling. You can't blame people or situations for your sin. Those just reveal what's already in your heart. You can't say, yeah, I, no, I shouldn't have gotten angry, but the traffic, but he, but she. No, that anger was already in your heart, and it needs to be dealt with. Well, after all is said and done, after everything Paul has said in chapter 8, the conclusion is clear. Don't do it. What should you do instead? You love. You prefer others. Six factors in choosing to limit your Christian liberty, the background of the brethren, the impotence of the issue, the danger of the decision, the consequence of the compromise, the severity of the sin, and the clarity of the conclusion. I once heard a story that I'd like to share with you in closing. It involves alcohol, but can apply to any gray area. There's a man who walked away from the Lord. One thing led to another, and he got involved with drugs. Really bad. Four years, I believe. Addicted to drugs, obviously had problems with the law, was arrested. And by God's grace, this individual repented, turned from his sins, broke his addiction, found a church, and at that church, he saw another Christian having a beer. And this guy thought, oh, if he's drinking, I guess it's okay to drink. And so he had a drink. And then two, and then three. And before he knew it, he was back addicted to drugs on the streets. Thankfully, God was gracious again and spared his life, and he got cleaned up. But here's the point. A Christian 
exercising his Christian freedom caused this brother to stumble and think it was okay. And his already weak conscience was emboldened to do what was not right. And he got addicted again. And you think, okay, typical, typical story. It's like, come on, pastor. Maybe in the Bible Belt, where many churches would actually wrongly say it's sin to drink. But not here. It's 2021. This is the Bay Area. This is California. We live in an area where big tech companies, some of the biggest employers in the country who are just a few miles from here, serve beer in their cafeterias. They have happy hours before the end of work, the workday. People don't drink to get drunk here. It's all about small branch breweries, IPAs. They don't, you know, they don't just grab a Budweiser and you know, a 12-pack to get drunk. Do you, you really think your story applies here to our congregation, to this church? You know, I, I think it does. And let me tell you why. Because that person from the story is sitting in our congregation right now. And that once upon a time that I heard that story was last Sunday. Our actions matter. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the clarity of your word. And though your word is clear, clear about love, we know that there's a lot of questions and confusion about our choices in life. But ultimately, I pray that we would be a people who love above all else and that our love pushes us to be willing to give up for the sake of others. And I pray, Father, for those who are the weaker brother or sister in this context, that we would be so loving that we would not embolden them to fall into their old ways, but that we would embolden them to speak up, to tell us and to let us know when our actions are hurting them. Because we just want to be who you want us to be, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. This has been Grace to the Bay with Dr. Roger Chen. For the next part in this series, join us next week at this same time. Grace to the Bay is the radio ministry of Grace Church of the Bay Area, practicing and proclaiming the purity of biblical truth. You are invited to join them for worship services in San Mateo, Sundays at 11 a.m. Visit gracebayarea.org for service times, directions, live streamed services, listen to archived sermons, or to make a tax-deductible donation to help keep Grace to the Bay on the air so that we can continue to share Pastor Roger's teaching with you each week. Again, that's gracebayarea.org. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.